You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Wow, there's got to be like at least seven or eight of you out there. Um, so, you know there are other speakers, right, besides me. But uh, thank you for coming. I really do appreciate it. I'd like to just take a moment just to pray real quick before we get going. Lord, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to come together today in peace. Uh, I pray that you would bring us hope. I pray that you would bring us wisdom and perspective today. Uh, Speak through the story you have given me and let only your words be heard. Amen. Well, uh, this chapel is about faculty stories, and I have to say, my story is continually being reaffirmed. Uh, The music today, uh, both songs and the psalm that was read this morning, are like tailor-made for what I'm about to say, and we didn't coordinate that even a little bit. Uh, So, you know, God's, God's always moving, and he's always nodding to us in special ways. Uh, so my story actually started right here, uh, 2010, I graduated Asbury, and I left to pursue a life in the Hollywood film industry. Uh, for a while I struggled, I was kind of getting odds and ends jobs here, I really wasn't doing that great, uh, but I was lucky uh, to get some things and I, I eventually got a job, I, I graduated right in the middle of the recession, so smack in the middle of it, so that was awesome. Uh, but a couple years later, I found myself preparing to shoot a movie here in Kentucky because it's 100 times cheaper than shooting in L.A. And I was hiring my ex-girlfriend at the time, Janelle, to uh, work on the film. I should give you some backstory here. We actually met over there in McCrellis. Uh, it was in the choir room. I was on the opposite side of the room in the corner with a few friends, and we were getting ready for our first Godspell rehearsal. I was uh, in theater back in those days. And I remember she walked in the room, I took a look at her, and I said, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I walked over, and uh, we had a good conversation, started dating, and uh, the rest is history. But we... uh, We eventually separated, actually, uh, right around my senior year uh, for a few reasons. The simple one was because uh, we were both going to different different directions. I was going to L.A., she wasn't, and uh, we didn't know where that was going to take us. The more complicated and probably truthful answer is that we both had a lot of issues. (laughs) Mine was that I was a selfish jerk. Uh, But fast forward back to the film. Uh, We shot the film, and I was preparing to return to L.A. Uh, She asked me to drive, she asked to drive me back to the place I was staying. And as I was getting out of the car, she grabbed my hand, pulled me back into the car, and just laid this huge kiss on me. And after recovering from my shock, my entire world changed. We really weren't planning on making a long thing of it. Uh, We... I didn't know what was going to happen, but we kept talking. And then four months later, uh, I was preparing to propose to her. Um, But before I I was going to do that, I was kind of hit with something. 
I realized that I was living a lie. Uh, it wasn't one in particular. It was a number of fibs, half-truths, exaggerations uh, about who I was and about the things I had done. Because, you see, I was absolutely ruled by pride. 100% ruled by it. I had built up this image of myself to her and others, and suddenly I realized that I couldn't enter my marriage with that, and it broke me. Uh, I was just, I've never felt more distraught. The weight of my sins seemed to just cripple me, and I realized that I had to tell her what was happening. And so I did, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done, was to tell her that. And she forgave me. And I don't know how it happened, because it doesn't make any sense. But overnight, God transformed my desire to be better than I was in the eyes of others. I don't know how. It was like I was no longer felt this nagging desire to prove myself to other people, and I, I didn't feel like I had to make myself into something I wasn't. He just cured me. And I, I, can't under, I can't understand it. I can't explain it. It didn't make any sense uh, other than God wanted it to happen. You see, Janelle's forgiveness echoed the forgiveness of Christ, and my world was changed. And that forgiveness then set in another story that would change, set in motion another story that would change my life and take me to places I never thought I would go and lead me back here. And I think most importantly, it would lead me to understand that my part in this story that we all share is more beautiful than I could have ever planned on my own. So I, I think you can tell already I have an amazing wife. Um, our marriage has been really awesome. Uh, but one of the first things we learned about marriage is that you know, pride is something we still have to fight. My pride is still a part of me, and I still have to constantly surrender it. Um, and so does she. Our premarital counselor gave us some really good books to read. Read this book, uh, Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. If you're going to get married, that's a great book. Um, just had to plug that. You know, but I still had, we still had fights, and I still had to daily surrender my pride. And one of the reasons I wore short sleeves today was because I actually got a tattoo on my arm here to uh, tell me to surrender my pride. And I do that. Uh, in my morning devotions, I, I kneel down and I surrender my pride. And uh, yes, it's a made-up language. It's a made-up language, okay? I like Tolkien. Uh, this was on my arm, but I like it. So... Um, but, you know, even good marriages, even when you deal with all those problems, even good marriages, they tend to um, have outside problems that can still cause a lot of pain. Starting in college and going into my post-college life, I began experiencing some odd moments of, of like, lightheadedness that usually ended in me passing out. Uh, they were often precipitated by illness. I really didn't know why. It was kind of confusing. Uh, early on, I didn't think much about them. I just kind of figured it was my body's way of rebooting uh, and just getting me back to normal. But then something changed. Uh, it happened a couple times, and Janelle was nearby, and it scared her really badly. And for some reason, her trepidation kind of increased my own fear about them. 
and I realized I had no idea what was going on with me at all. And I started thinking, well, what if I pass out far from help and I can't, I can't get help? Uh, you see, I, I like to hike, I like to hunt and camp in the wilderness, and it's extremely enjoyable for me. Uh, but when I realized that this issue could crop up as I was scaling a cliff or walking a switchback, uh, I found myself afraid of one of my favorite pastimes. And that was really disheartening. I, I felt like I had this situation where I was dwelling on my fear all the time. And there was like this constant buzzing in the back of my brain that was just going on constantly, wouldn't stop for a minute, and it was driving me crazy. I prayed, and I tried to work through it, uh, but it didn't seem to help at all. I noticed something here. I want to point this out. God had healed me before. He had gotten uh, rid of the kind of chronic pride I had in my life, but he didn't this time. I prayed and I tried really hard uh, to just believe that I could get past it, and it did nothing. Um, it maybe gave me a little comfort, and he, you know, he spoke to me and comforted me, but my anxiety was still present, and it was still very, very difficult. So after some prodding from Janelle, I went to see a counselor. Uh, my counselor helped me work through the fears, and he kind of helped me get perspective to them and realize what they were. And I was able to kind of identify them when they started happening. But I still felt like I couldn't go out on hikes, I couldn't go out on trips and enjoy nature. And that was tremendously sad to me. Um, and coincidentally, or maybe not, around that time, my friend asked me if I would want to hike Mount Whitney with him. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mount Whitney is the tallest peak in the lowest, lower 48 states. It sits at about 14,500 feet. Uh, it's over two and a half miles in the sky. And if you fall ill on Mount Whitney, you're pretty much on your own, because uh, there's no cell service uh, on the way up or down. Uh, so naturally, the idea of traversing a mountain like that sounded pretty terrifying in my current state. And Somehow I decided to tell my friend I would go with him. I still don't know why I did that. Uh, it was kind of, just kind of happened, just came out of me. Uh, and I wrestled with that fear still, constantly. And as the trip grew near, I talked to my counselor and he was able to help me, you know, figure out why I was afraid, but it didn't disappear. It didn't help uh, me get past it. I just kind of understood it better. Um, and I was, but I was still more anxious than any other time I've ever been in my life, that moment leading up to it. I remember it was, we were going towards the base of the mountain. I would just kind of just feel like, oh, the entire time, and it was like I couldn't stop. Uh, and as we were going up the trail, we were going, you know, switch back to switch back. Every moment I let my mind wander, it would come back, and it would just, in the back of my head, and it just would nag and nag and nag. And the physical, the physical exertion helped, but it was still there. The night is a really terrifying time. Uh, there's a reason we talk about, uh, you know, the dark night of the soul. We're afraid of it in some way. And... Uh, 
and it was really difficult. But I remember, I remember that night camping, and I pulled out these cards that Janelle had written me, uh, and Bible verses on them. And I can't tell you which Bible verse it was, um, but I do remember that throughout this whole time, God had been prompting me to fear not. To fear not. And that's something he repeats a lot, of, a lot in Scripture. In Luke, he, he says it, Luke 12, he says it several times in one chapter. I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body uh, and, nothing, and after that can do nothing more. And then verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. In verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I don't remember reading those in particular, like I said, but I felt like God was saying, do this and push through. And as we camped at 12,000 feet that night, even though I was scared, uh, I felt peace. The next day was a lot harder, though. Uh, once you pass the tree line, which is around 11,000 feet there, uh, pretty much it's just rocks and snow, and that's pretty much it. So it's really bleak, and it's kind of depressing. And I remember as we climbed uh, the switchbacks, which were getting more and more thin, uh, I was just getting to the point of panic attack. And then every time we would make a turn, I would feel like I was just about to have one of these moments where I just totally passed out. I would look up, and there'd be these little purple flowers sticking out of rocks in the ground. And for some reason, the first time I saw those, they gave me hope. I don't really understand why. But then I would go back to panicking again. We'd keep going up the switchbacks. And then just when I thought I was going to lose it, I'd look up and there'd be a purple flower. And it, was, it spoke to me. And I know it sounds kind of odd, but it gave me courage. Uh, that said, the last two miles were still just awful. Uh, there are no more flowers, and the path pretty much becomes non-existent. Uh, it's, it's basically like boulders that you kind of pick your way across as you go to the top. And uh, at that altitude, in the right conditions, the sky starts to turn much darker, and you can kind of see the edge of space. It's not like black, but it's unnaturally dark blue. And for someone already feeling like this, it's a little, it's a little uh, unnerving. As I kind of went up this like last, like maybe half mile, I heard this kind of chorus in my ears, this chant going back and forth between turn back and you will fail. But I didn't. I didn't turn back. I was pushed on by a still small voice that I could barely hear. And my friend. I made it to the top. It wasn't really much of a relief, though. Uh, at that point, I was weary beyond any point in my life. I'd never been so tired. And it wasn't because I was uh, physically exerted, though I was. I was in really good shape, and I wasn't bothered by how I was feeling uh, physically. It was that I had been mentally tortured for weeks, and especially the last couple of days leading up to the top. And uh, 
I was more exhausted than I can possibly express to you. But then as I came down, the wonder, everything looked brand new. The sky didn't seem so intimidating. The rocks that had before seemed barren and lifeless now seemed to be utterly beautiful. The plants, the water that I passed on the way up changed my heart. And from that point onward, from that day onward, God has removed the anxiety that was constant in my life. And perhaps it's because I think to myself, oh, I've done the hardest thing, and now I can do whatever else. But I don't think that's it. I think he did something else. I think he stepped in when I needed it. Now, here's the thing. I still have moments when I pass out for some reason or another. I'm not over that. And my anxiety in those times still can come back. And every now and then, I'll feel a pang. It's not fully gone. But it has gotten better. And I think it was because God kept pushing me. And I allowed him to push me into those difficult places, into those oceans where I could barely see above the waves. Now, that's not the end of my story. Um, after that, my uh, wife and I moved to England for a little while. Uh, we got to travel Europe. I was getting my master's in film and business, and it was awesome. Uh, we had a great time, and we were able to experience this different way of life, see so many beautiful things. And then as our time was wrapping up, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of had a thought of coming back and starting a business and uh, getting back into film. Uh, then I got an uh, offer to uh, come do an assistantship here. And I was like, Wilmore, though? <laughs> uh, did I really want to come back to Wilmore? I mean, I lived in L.A., I traveled the world, I had worked with my favorite directors, and I was like, this is... It's Wilmore. Um, but you know what? Then I realized that my pride had kind of poked its head out again. And God whispered in my ear, you're thinking like the world and not like me. We kind of often think of ourselves as above certain things, which I'm ashamed to admit. Uh, we aren't. But more than that, more than that, we're looking at the universe upside down. God's kingdom, his reality, is more wonderful than we can possibly imagine. And it can be just as glorious in the things that we think are small as the things that we think are big. You see, when I came here, I had no idea how God was going to use me. I had no idea how he was going to change me or how he was going to grow me. But most importantly, I had no idea how God was going to use me to further his love. I've had the opportunity to teach here, and I wasn't planning on it. Uh, in that time, I've been able to have some conversations with 
a lot of people, students in particular, but other people as well. And I've gotten to, to see that the conversations we've had have done something for them, that have altered their life trajectory. And it wasn't because of anything I did. It was because God wrote a story in me that somehow spoke into their life. Not because of anything I said, not because of anything I did, but because he was doing it through me years before I ever got here. And that is so much more beautiful than any film, any city, any human glory I ever could have gotten on my own. It's been one of the greatest joys in my life to be here, to be able to speak in other people's lives and be able to see how the pain in my life has been able to help other people. The reality is that one act can change a life, which can change another, which can change another, which can change millions. Where you are right here, right now, through your pain, through your struggles, through the things that you are thinking are absolutely pointless, God is working through those things. He can create a ripple that turns into a wave, that turns into a tsunami of love. The glories we have in this present age are just nothing. They're absolutely nothing compared to what waits us. You might never see it, and you might never know it, but it doesn't matter. If you allow this story, if you allow this pain, this heartache, to turn into something else, it becomes so beautiful. And if you humble yourself, and you allow those times of hurt and chaos and struggle to change you and to speak into the lives of others, it will give you the keys to touching the hearts of others in, in, the, of others in the ways that only God can. Because he is the author of life. He is the author of your story. He is the author of mine. And I am so, so grateful. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for our stories. Thank you that our pain can be used to help others. Thank you that the hurt that we're going through now, the hurt that we've experienced in the past, the hurt that we're going to go through in the future is not for naught. Thank you that you've designed us to live in community, that you've designed us to share our fears, our anxieties, and our pain with others so that we can change the world because you shared with us. Your pain became our salvation. We love you and we thank you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.